Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. My name is Hannah Oliver, and I'm here with my co-host, Esther Faulkner. Esther and I are both particular Baptists who hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. The Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast is an informal podcast for women with intelligent and literary interests related to Christian doctrine and life. Esther and I both have a passion to see unbelievers come to the faith, and so we hope our material will be used for the furtherance of God's kingdom. We also have a passion for equipping women with the tools they need to exercise discernment, and we desire to see more women understand and love the deep theology that is found in God's word. We believe everyone is a theologian, and you are either a good one or a bad one. Our hope with our podcast is to stir in women a love for good theology and to encourage women in their faith as they walk in obedience and grow in holiness. We want to remind everyone that our podcast is a tool. It is not church, and it does not replace discipleship. We encourage all of our listeners to find a local church and become a member if you aren't one. We have resources on our website for those who are seeking a church, and we are always happy to help anyone who is struggling to find a healthy church. You can email us at thebluestockingbaptist@gmail.com at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at the Blue Stocking Baptist or on Twitter at SheBaptists. On today's episode, we will be concluding our series on the basics of Mormon doctrine. This is part three, and we will be talking about the Mormon plan of salvation compared to biblical Christianity. So we already established in our previous episodes that Mormonism rejects the biblical Jesus, rejects the Christian faith, and today we'll explore how Mormons reject the Christian gospel. We want to remind you all that Mormons use a lot of the same vocabulary as Christians do. Um, This includes words like the gospel, grace, obedience, faith, ordinances, testimony, atonement, salvation, forgiveness, uh, repentance, and priesthood. There are other words Christians and Mormons share. We have narrowed it down to just these words because they are relevant to our discussion today. The similarities between our vocabulary does not mean that we're talking about the same thing, though. When it comes to Christian and Mormon vocabulary, we have similar terms, but it's as if we've used two radically different dictionaries to define our terms. So we're not going to be giving you specific explanations for all of the words that we just um that we just told you about, but we will try to give you a overarching view of what the plan of salvation is, what the gospel is, and um, hopefully you can pick out how terms are used differently. We also want to mention that salvation in Christianity means going to heaven with the Lord, and hell is a punishment if you reject the gospel. Mormonism teaches that there are three levels of heaven. They are the celestial kingdom, terrestrial kingdom, and celestial kingdom. The celestial kingdom also has three levels as well within it, and it is where Heavenly Father is. And it is also where a person would would achieve godhood, a state of godhood, and have their own planet. Um, I believe that we talked in our past episodes about how they believe that they would be exalted to godhood and how celestial marriage plays into that and everything which that would be about the ordinances and we'll kind of talk about that. Yeah. So Mormonism at its heart is actually universalist because they believe like Esther and I would go to the terrestrial kingdom, which is where Jesus Christ is. 
they believe this because we do live what what appears to be a moral life and we do believe in Jesus Christ though we don't fully understand or practice all the ordinances and laws which they view as the fully restored gospel so they would kind of view us as knowing part of it and so we would get to the second level of heaven and then have the opportunity when we got there to be sealed in marriage to do the laws and the ordinances and um continue to progress onto godhood it would not be the end of the road for us we would not go to hell where in christianity if a person rejects the gospel of jesus christ they would go to hell it's there's no second chances but mormons have second chances they also do have a doctrine of hell but i've seen it argued differently by different mormons so the most common argument that i've personally seen is that outer darkness is reserved for the sons of perdition or apostates so when we talk about the mormon plan of salvation in the mormon gospel we will specifically be talking only about the celestial kingdom and how one is exalted to godhood we're doing this because that is what they say is salvation it's exaltation and because salvation only means one thing in Christianity, we're going to show you a parallel of um, the differences. Okay, so now we're going to start talking about um, what the eternal plan of salvation is and what the gospel is in Mormon theology. So on page 115 of True to the Faith, which is a Mormon official booklet that the church has produced, we are told that the plan of salvation is, quote, in the pre-mortal existence, Heavenly Father prepared a plan to enable us to become like him and receive a fullness of joy. The scriptures refer to this as the plan of salvation, the great plan of happiness and the plan of mercy. The plan of salvation is the fullness of the gospel. It includes the creation, the fall, the atonement of Jesus Christ, and all the laws, ordinances, and doctrines of the gospel. Moral agency is the ability to choose and act for ourselves. It is also essential in Heavenly Father's plan. Because of this plan, we can be perfected through the atonement, receive a fullness of joy, and live forever in the presence of God. Our family relationships can last throughout eternity. And on page um, 76 of the same book, it says, the, it says, quote, the gospel is our heavenly father's plan of happiness. The central doctrine of the gospel is the atonement of Jesus Christ. The prophet Joseph Smith said the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, repentance. Third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. Fourth, laying on of the of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. In its fullness, the gospel includes all of the doctrines, principles, laws, and ordinances, and covenants necessary for us to be exalted into the celestial kingdom. The Savior has promised that if we endure to the end faithfully living the gospel, he will hold us guiltless before the Father at the final judgment. The fullness of the gospel has been preached in all ages when God's children have been prepared to receive it. In the latter days, or the dispensation of the fullness of, of times, the gospel has been restored through the prophet Joseph Smith. 
Brigham Young, in the teachings of the presidents, also described the gospel as a system of laws and ordinances that leads to salvation, and that the gospel of the Son of God that has been revealed is a plan or system of laws and ordinances by strict obedience to which the people who inhabit this earth are assured that they may return again to the presence of the Father and the Son. Young continued in that same book. He said, quote, he, God, has instituted laws and ordinances for the government and benefit of the children of men to see that they would obey them and prove themselves worthy of eternal life by the law of the celestial worlds. Um, I have another quote from the most recent general conference, which occurred on April 6, 2019. I believe it was Russell M. Ballard who said, quote, the pure, true, and simple gospel is the saving doctrine of Christ and that the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by the obedience to the laws and the ordinances. So essentially, Mormonism's salvation comes through works of righteousness. You see this repeated over and over again. Laws, ordinances, obedience, um, that this is the fullness of the gospel. The gospel includes your good works. And they assert that the gospel plus works is the restored gospel that came through Joseph Smith. Restored means that something was lost. And so we know throughout church history that Christianity has taught that justification is by faith alone. Um, even in periods of church history where this has been less prevalent during different times, the Roman Catholic Church didn't necessarily always teach this, but the Bible has always taught this, that justification mm -hmm. is by faith alone. And you see that Mormonism rejects this central pillar of truth, and they, they argue for a restored gospel that is a system of bondage and works-based religion. Um, you could kind of compare it to the Galatian heresy as well, um, because the Galatians or the Judaizers in Galatia were promoting that people needed to be circumcised to be saved. Though it's different because it's a completely different theological system. You do see Paul rebuking the Judaizers for telling the Christians that they needed to add something, add an ordinance, add a work, add add a a performing at a performance of theirs to be justified when we are taught very clearly throughout all of Galatians that justification is by faith alone in Christ alone and that it's Jesus's blood imputed to us that ultimately saves us. Right. Um, next, we want to talk about uh, what uh, Mormonism teaches what Jesus Christ accomplished. There's a really big conflict there because that what, what Christ accomplished is really at the center of what the gospel is. So to explain um, what Mormonism teaches that Jesus Christ accomplished, I'm going to pull from mormon.org on the mormon.org website. This is what it how it explains um, or what it explains Jesus Christ accomplished. It says he Jesus Christ suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross under an immeasurable weight to ransom us from our mortal burdens. After three days, Jesus Christ overcame death, emerging from the tomb, resurrected, and winning for us that same reward. He made possible our own resurrection, the permanent union of our spirit and perfected physical body. Jesus was sent by, the by his Father to offer eternal life to all of his children. His sacrifice empowers the plan of salvation. 
so this doctrine of what Jesus accomplished is expressed in, again in that uh, book that we mentioned earlier, True to the Faith, on page 17. It says, Jesus' atoning sacrifice took place in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross at Calvary. In Gethsemane, he submitted to the will of the Father and began to take upon himself the sins of all, his, all the people. He has revealed some of what he experienced as he paid the price for our sins. So Esther and I just want to note really quickly before we move on um, that this is actually a very big difference with biblical Christianity. And nowhere in church history is it taught that Jesus suffered in the garden to atone for sins. Christianity has always taught that Christ was put on a cross, that he bore our sin on the cross and the scriptures say cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Um, he, he paid our, our sin debt on the cross, not in the garden. So they do have a type of atonement though. They deny the cross's role in it. They also have a disdain for the cross of Christ. It's very, mm -hmm. it's a very offensive symbol to them. Because in their mind, it would be like wearing an electric chair around your neck to symbolize that your brother was murdered by an electric chair. So to them, they view it more as martyrdom, that Christ was martyred on a cross. So they won't wear crosses. They don't have crosses in their homes. It's a highly offensive symbol um, because to them, it'd be like celebrating your brother's murder. And that doesn't make sense to them. So they have no... Yeah real understanding of what the biblical Christian atonement is, which is Christ bearing our sins on the cross to fully pay our debt and to fully reconcile us to God by the blood of Jesus, who is the sacrificial lamb who takes away our sin. So it's very different. Um, I was just going to say, um, like from what we've, what we've shared so far, I hope that it's kind of clear to see that even talking about the Garden of Gethsemane, like them, that Mormons point to that as where Christ suffered. They're really not preaching the gospel where, you know, Paul summarizes Christ, or the gospel as Christ crucified. Yeah. They don't want to talk about that. Like they don't, they do not, they do not preach Christ crucified. Which is very central to Christianity because Paul says, even if those, um, I forget which book it is, but even in those people who are preaching Christ for personal gain, they're still preaching Christ mm -hmm. crucified. So to him, he's like, let them because the gospel's going forward. Yeah. And yeah, the cross is the, the, the focal point of the gospel. And so they keep, mm -hmm. they use the word, the gospel over and over, but it's void. Like Esther is saying of any kind of gospel, because the gospel is his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so all of that, I mean, all of the revelation that we have in the Old Testament, all the types and shadows point to Christ. And so they have no gospel at all when they say that nothing took place on the cross. So we're going to summarize a story about a debtor and a creditor, which was originally, I guess you could say preached by President Boycade Packer on um, April 1977 at a conference, at a general conference. And he told the story of a parable of a debtor and a creditor. The debtor could not pay off his debt. 
He pleaded for mercy. The creditor was like, no, was demanding that justice would be upheld, that the contract would be upheld. And so the debtor's friend came in, agreed to pay his friend's debt, but he agreed to pay his friend's debt with a condition that his friend would keep his terms now. So the debtor went from the creditor to now being, now owing his friend. Um, And it is expressed in the gospel principles book that our sins are our spiritual debts without Jesus Christ, who is our savior and mediator. We would all pay for our sins by suffering spiritual death. But because of him, we will keep his terms, which are to repent and keep his commandments so that we may return to live with our heavenly father. So Esther, do you kind of want to talk about why this parable falls short and what are some of the major issues with it? So number one, uh, this parable is nowhere near anything that we see described in scripture. Um, talking about any, any of the parables that Christ used to talk about what it's like to be in need of a savior. Um, Second, you have the creditor, or I'm sorry, the debtor who is basically told he's off the hook, except he's got to obey the creditor's conditions. And if that is supposed to be representing us as debtors to God for breaking his law um, and that once Christ atoned for sin, him acting as the creditor, that leaves us hopeless if we continue to sin. And it's, it's impossible until sanctification, sanctification is complete and glorification occurs for us to be without sin. So it's, it's, it leaves, it leaves you hopeless if you take that as uh, an illustration of the gospel, because once Christ has come and, and provided uh, an atonement that is sufficient to cover sins, if we say, now you have to be, it's basic, that illustration is basically promoting sinless perfectionism. Um, yeah. That's what that's what the terms are of of this illustration's gospel. Um, so that's where it really falls flat. And you see what do you this, think? I agree. I mean, you even see this in Second Nephi twenty five twenty three, where it talks about that um, now that it is by grace that we are saved. After all, we can do. So your condition, your grace is still conditioned upon your behavior, your obedience to the laws and ordinances. Um, You hear Mormons a lot talking about how if I just do the best I can, grace will make up the rest. But what's really interesting in this story, it was, it was kind of showing that the atonement was given to you, covered your Uh sin. And then now you have to keep in perfect obedience because like Esther's kind of saying, what happens when you sin again, which you're, you're going to sin again. So these people, this, the debtor would, rack up more debt now to his friend and and where's the sacrifice for that sin and so i do think that there's even a disconnect with some different mormon doctrines because you see throughout uh mormon theology this demand of sinless perfectionism but yet you also see practically Mm -hmm. the people know they cannot live a perfect sinless life 
before. Yeah, it's 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 inconsistent. It's inconsistent with their scriptures. Very, very much. Very inconsistent. I mean, you even see with Alma one hundred thirty or Alma eleven thirty seven. I'm going to open it and read it. It says, and I say unto you again that he cannot save them in their sins, for I cannot deny his word, and he hath said that no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, how can ye be saved except that how can ye be saved except ye inherit the kingdom of heaven? Therefore, ye cannot be saved in your sin. And I mean, we see in Romans that Christ hmm. died for us while we were sinners, but yet Alma is while saying we were sinners. Yeah. But then Alma is saying that he cannot. <laughs> save them in their sins. So we kind of have to ask the question, like what kind of savior do you want? One that can actually save you or Mm -hmm. one that can only save you if you stop sinning completely and you live in sinless perfectionism. It just does not sound like good news at all (laughs) Um, that we can't be saved in our sins. And that just is complete contradiction a complete contradiction to the Bible. It's, it really goes back to like us talking about how Christian or uh, Christians and Mormons have similar, you know, vocab term vocabulary terms. But then when you sit down and go through Mormon scripture, they have completely different, different definitions of, of, of salvation. Like to, to the Christian salvation is being saved from sin, being saved in our sin while we were sinners, Christ died for us versus the Mormon. It it's more so pointing to being able to be resurrected, not so much being saved of your sins. That's something you have to, you have to do. Um, it's just an unattainable gospel. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, there's another verse in Moroni 10.32. This one says, Ye come unto Christ and be perfected in him, and deny yourself of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourself of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can no ways deny the power of God. Yeah. That's teaching. That's teaching. Do this and you'll live. Not you've been made alive. Now walk in, in obedience through the power of the Holy spirit. It's, it's putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Because the gospel is a promise Mm -hmm. and, and these are law first. It's telling you, if you do this, then you will be saved rather than the gospel is, is, what Christ has accomplished for you, believe in this, now do this. And because you can also see, so this verse in Moroni is basically saying only if you're perfect can you be saved as well. So you see that it's a command to deny everything and all ungodliness. And it's also, you must be perfect because if I don't deny all ungodliness in myself, then I'm not worthy to be saved. Um, if you look at Doctrines and Covenants, chapter 25, verses 15 through 16, it, it talks about how, uh, well, let me just read it. It says, keep my commandments continually and a crown of righteousness thou shalt receive and accept thou do this where I am, you cannot come. And verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my voice unto all. Amen. 
So I just want to parallel that. If you were to look at, at that supposed or is supposedly a quotation from Christ, um, if you compare that to what we know is scripture in John 14, whenever Jesus is talking to the disciples about he would be going to prepare a place for um, his people. Uh-huh. When uh, I believe it was, it was Thomas who asked after Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and that um, where I will be, you will be there also. He says, or Thomas asks and says, um, we do not know where you're going. So how could we know the way? Mm-hmm. And his response is not, um, keep my commandments continually. And that's the way to me, mm-hmm. which I believe that's basically what doctrines and covenants 25 is saying here is that's the way is keeping the commandments continually. But Jesus answers and he says, his response is not commandments. It's saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. He points to himself. He doesn't uh-huh. point to keep the commandments and then you'll get a crown of righteousness. He's, he points to himself. Um, so that's a big, a big contradiction. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. That also reminds me of the, the rich young ruler. Um, you see also again, the, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to, uh, what does he say? Inherit eternal life. Inherit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not actually reading it. So if I say something wrong, correct me. But he, he asked Jesus how he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then he tells it, he asks him if he has kept commandments. And the rich young ruler responds, I have kept all since my youth. And Jesus responds, go and sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. And immediately the young rich ruler mm-hmm. walks away downcast because he can't do that. And Jesus is basically showing him, you are not good because if you were good, you would do this. And it, it has nothing to do with keeping the law because this man claims to have kept the law. And instead Jesus shows him how, no, you don't keep the law. You broke the first commandment by claiming that you (laughs) have kept the law. And I mean, Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't even tell him how to be saved. He didn't tell him the gospel. He didn't tell him to trust in Jesus, but he was revealing to him that he can't trust his own righteousness to be saved. Um, So that kind of reminds me of that as well. Do you have any other thoughts, Esther? That that ties in perfectly with how Doctrines of Covenants 25 is so wrong. I mean, we also see Doctrines and Covenants 58, 42 through 43 says, Behold, he who is repented of his sins, the same is forgiven. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. By this you may know, if a man repenteth of his sins, behold, he will confess them and forsake them. And I think that's really, really important to see that not only does that person repent, but they also forsake. And if they forsake and repent, they are forgiven. Um, The definition of forsake, hang on, I'm going to pull it up, is to abandon or renounce or give up something value. So it'd be like to relinquish, um, to disown, to never, to never return to it again. Yes. 
because it's saying desert, abandon, leave, quit. So it means you'd, you, you repent completely and you completely turn from it. So now you're denying ungodliness. You're fleeing all sin. You're not returning to it like a dog would return to vomit. You have nothing to do with it. And if you turn from your sin completely, then you'd be forgiven. So like we see according to this, true repentance is confessing sin and forsaking it. So to forsake sin, like we just said, never return to it again. So this Mormon scripture is saying that God requires sinless perfectionism again in order for him not to forsake us. So there's, there's, no, <laughs> there's no way for a Mormon to have any assurance of salvation because if you yell at your child for not putting their socks on in the morning when you've told them 10 times to put them on, well, now you have sinned. Now, now what do you do? Now where's your hope? of reconciliation to God. You've already failed. Where's the sacrifice for you now? You haven't really forsaken your sin. You still love your sin. The way that this, this passage talks about sins, where it says, he who repenteth of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remember them no more. So that's talking about like all sins that you ever commit. And the way that this is teaching that you can know that a man is repented is by them confessing every one of them and forsaking all of them. And it's like, like you said, it, it, it's advocating and promoting sinless perfectionism. Like you should, in order for God not to forsake you, you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. It's impossible. Um, last one from, from Doctrines and Covenants that we want to share is uh, from chapter 82. It's um, a portion of, of that verse 7. Um, there it says, Go your ways and sin no more, but unto that soul who sinneth shall the former sins return, saith the Lord our God. Um, Hannah, what do you think that's teaching? I think that that is teaching that... So turn from your sin, forsake it, like 58, 42 through 43 was also saying. But that mm -hmm. if you return, this is my understanding, if you return and sin again, so if you sin, now those former mm -hmm. sins are credited back to you. So if you don't keep the yeah. agreement, now you're worse off than you were before. Um, Double damned. Yeah, now you're doubly damned. But what's interesting, because <laughs> now we kind of have to keep going back, where at the very, very beginning, we talked about salvation for Mormonism is the celestial kingdom. So in a way, it, it almost kind of- They're not, they're not. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Catholicism of where like a baby is baptized, uh -huh. they're washed of original sin, and then they're going up on, like they're walking along and they're, they're righteous. And then all of a sudden they do a minor sin. And then all of a sudden they do, they fall into a major sin. And now they kind of have to walk up this ladder to get back in into righteousness. It's like this tug and pull of fighting your flesh and this workspace system of now trying to get your righteousness back. And that kind of reminds me of Mormonism when it comes to the levels of heaven. Because if you don't do the best that you can do on earth and you're not keeping all the laws and ordinances mm -hmm. or commandments, you're not a temple worthy Mormon, you're not honoring the word of wisdom, you're not being sealed in the temple all the different aspects of Mormon doctrine. Um, 
you would get to the terrestrial kingdom. You would. They believe that. They believe every Mormon in the entire church will be resurrected because that's what the atonement of Jesus Christ paid for, for all people to be resurrected. Then you'll be in the terrestrial kingdom and you'll have the opportunity to make it up. But in a way, it kind of reminds me of like, if you sin really badly on earth, now you're being credited your sin again, and it's only going to take you longer to get to the celestial kingdom. So it's not even like, yeah, because you have all eternity to get to the celestial kingdom. So in a way, if I was a Mormon, I'd be like, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's just going to take me longer to make up for my sin, to get to the celestial kingdom, to get to Godhood. Um, yeah. But I mean, in Christianity, which we're comparing it to, this is a really big deal because if you do not keep the law perfectly, if you do not keep every jot and tittle of the law, you will be damned by the whole law, even if you fall in one point. Mm -hmm. So you can't, yeah. it's, it's absolutely impossible. No one has lived a perfect sinless life except Jesus Christ. And yes, we are to forsake our sin. We are to repent of our sin. We are to turn from our sin and walk in holiness. But that does not mean that we are justified by our faithfulness or our obedience to Jesus's commands. I mean, we should love the commands of Jesus. We should walk in them. Um, but you will see Mormons uh, argue for James. I think it's two as, as an example for pushing their point. Like, well, James two mm -hmm. says that faith without works is dead. And we would say, yeah, we agree with that, but we're not talking about the same thing because they're arguing that yeah. that text is for justification. Like you are right. only justified by your works and your works are evidence that you have faith, which yeah. we would say like your union with Christ, like you are justified, you are reconciled to God, you're in union with Christ, you're in the vine, which is Christ. You can never be severed from that union. And then your union with Christ, the outflow of that is your sanctification and will your faith, your genuine faith, your union with, with Christ will, will be obvious because you will be walking in newness of life and good works will flow from that union. So it is a type of assurance for the Christian that we, we can see how the Lord is sanctifying us and have assurance in that. But in reality, we, sh we can't even have full assurance on our works because Christ is the object of our faith. He's what saves us. And so even mm -hmm. if a Christian stumbles, falls into sin, repents, and because we all will continue to stumble and struggle with sin, our assurance is Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross. That's what our hope rests in. It's a living hope. That's, we will get our inheritance, our inheritance because Jesus Christ keeps his promises and he's sealed us with the Holy Spirit if we are in Christ. And so we have nothing to fear. We have no, we're, we no longer have to fear condemnation. We should walk in newness of life though. We're not advocating, not walking in obedience. And I think that's the most challenging part with talking to Mormons is trying to make the distinction between justification and sanctification because they don't understand either of them. Right. They, Everything is what they do rather than who they're, what the object of their faith is and what Christ has done for them. It all rests on their shoulders. And ultimately, the Mormon gospel is an impossible gospel that no one can keep because we cannot be perfect 
and no one is good. Romans tells us no one is good. No, not one. No one is righteous. And so if all humanity is doomed and damned without a savior, the Mormon gospel is the worst gospel (laughs) that exists. It's true. All right. So um, now we want to just go kind of go back and touch on some things and kind of give you a summary of how uh, basically what, what to see in the Mormon gospel that is contrary to Christian gospel. Um, So the crux of Mormonism is that we can be saved by grace after all you can do. Uh, that gospel require or their gospel requires strict obedience. And if you follow the system, the law of God, you are ensured peace and comfort and happiness now and in eternal glory and exaltation, but nothing short of strict obedience of God's law will do this after you obey the laws and ordinances of the gospel. The inclination to be perfect in Mormonism is repeatedly taught to LDS or Latter-day Saint laymen and women. This perfection is not just trying, though they may sometimes say that if you do your best, God's grace will cover your sin. It means what they really mean, according to their scriptures, is that that you need to triumph over sin completely. We cannot do that. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can anyone really say that they have done all that they can do? They have triumphed over sin and are perfect? No. You. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but even I can tell you right now, I do not do the best that I could do every single day for the Lord's kingdom Uh in my home, raising my children, whatever it is. I can't even do my best. (laughs) If I can't even do my best, how am I going to be perfect? I don't, any, any, there's been Mormons that I've talked to that they'll, they will even admit that they do not do all that they can do. Um, but there are some that are familiar with this, with doing all that they can do as a requirement. And they say that they can, that they are doing all that they can do and that they are triumphing over sin. It's, it's that, it's that dual I guess mindset you can either come to this this Mormon gospel that demands perfection and you can see that you can't do all that you can do so you just kind of give up or you think that you have triumphed over sin and basically convince yourself that you are going to be a god one day so now you're puffed up in pride you have all this right. outward yeah pietism people think that you're righteous and godly and mm-hmm. good really mm-hmm. you're a pharisee now and you're a whitewashed tomb you're a yeah. a clean cup on the outside and full of deceit and lies on the inside and that's worse than just being someone who gives up completely because they understand that they're not perfect and not good like the self-righteous is yeah. worse <laughs> but yeah so no not one no one can is basically what we're trying to express to you. And no one can achieve their perfection through their own merit because James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of it all. I said that earlier. Um, The Bible teaches that we cannot earn right standing before God and that through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's Romans 3.20. 
So basically, unless a Mormon is perfect in all things pertaining to the law, they will be cast into outer darkness. From a Christian perspective, they will literally be sent to hell. But praise be to God that, quote, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 8. And you see, Jesus became sin on our behalf. So we, by faith, might become the righteousness of God, which is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Esther, will you tell our listeners, just as a reminder of what the real gospel is, we've kind of, we've already explained it throughout this episode, but just as a clear explanation um, as we conclude, start finishing up this episode. So the real gospel is clearly the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's the person and finished work of Jesus. If anyone... um, says that the gospel is anything other than that, um, that what is stated in the Bible, uh, the Bible tells us that they are blinded by the devil. It says in second Corinthians, uh, chapter four, that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And we just want to say that like, if you, if you're listening to this podcast for whatever reason, and you're not a believer, we want you to know that this gospel is, it is a message for you to respond in faith that Jesus' sacrifice is enough to cover your sin and to respond in repentance in turning from your sin and trusting in the Lord with the assurance that you are justified by the blood of Jesus and that you can now walk in newness of life. So, and if, if you're a believer, we hope that this reminder of the gospel encourages you, encourages you to remember that God is good, that he has saved you, that he has poured unmerited favor and grace just covers you and mm-hmm. you're loved by God. You are blameless in his sight you will inherit the kingdom of God, the only kingdom of God. There is only one. And that is the kingdom that is your inheritance. Um, right. We also want to say that Galatians 1.8 tells us that, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. In Corinthians 11.4 says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Um, And so this is a reminder that let us not put up with false Jesuses, false gospels, false religions trying to claim that they are Christian and Mm -hmm. Let us not believe any person or angel who brings a different gospel that is not the simple, pure gospel to steal from (laughs) the quote earlier I said of that, that Mormon apostle, but that the pure, simple gospel is truly what Jesus has accomplished. That is the good news. That is what we put our hope and trust in. Mm -hmm. Amen. So remembering what we've we kind of said in our previous episodes about how mormonism proclaims a different christ we have to remember that the christ in mormonism is a created being who is a spirit brother to the angels including satan and not the creator of all things as john chapter one describes so this is a different jesus 
who comes with a different gospel, as we've shown in this episode, a gospel of works and merit, it's not going to lead to salvation. Mm-hmm. It, it's one that is supposed to point to ultimately exaltation into godhood that is pretty unattainable um, unless you convince yourself that you are sinless. Uh, it's, it's, it's just unattainable. It's not good news at all. Remember, the Bible says that we're all sinners. That means that we have all offended God. We have all broken his law. Therefore, we're all guilty having sin. And because of this, we're separated from God. We're dead in our sins. We cannot please him. And we will suffer damnation. But there is good news. The only way to escape this judgment is by receiving Christ, by trusting in what Jesus did on the cross, because what Christ did saves all who believe in his work alone for salvation. It's not good works. It's Christ alone. Amen. So we hope that you have learned a lot about Mormonism. We hope that this has stirred in you a desire to evangelize those who are lost, um, who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the future, I don't know when it's going to happen. We do hope to do an episode on specifically evangelism to Mormons, but we do have some resources in our um, page notes or or in our show notes. And we also just want to mention, we do have a Patreon for those of you who would consider supporting us financially. We would appreciate it. Um, again, if you want to follow us on social media, Facebook, we're at the Blue Stocking, Blue Stocking Baptists. And on Twitter, we're at She Baptists. Esther uh, is our Twitter, Twitter wizard. <laughs> I guess <you> say. <laughs> she is wonderful over there. So if you want to see some sassy tweets and retweets you can go follow her um but otherwise we just want to thank you guys for joining us for another episode we appreciate all of our listeners who've been supporting us um and we're thankful for how much the lord has grown our podcast in the past couple of months we're really thankful um for that so if you can pass our podcast on to your friends word of mouth is one of the biggest ways that we reach other people share it like our facebook page um Give us a review on Facebook or iTunes to just let people know what you thought so that when other people do stumble upon our podcast, whether it's on iTunes or whatever, they can um, read your review and maybe it would, they would consider listening to it. So again, uh, thank you so much and God bless guys. <laughs>